With everything I'm doing this week, every day I go to work, every time I sing, I, I pray, every time I, I talk to everything I do is all worship unto you. God wanted to be with his children in the book of Exodus. He knew. In fact, I, I, there, there are very few things. In fact, I, I, I mentioned this in the foyer to, to someone this week, but to me it's really hard. What's the difference between worship and prayer? I think there's a fine line there. I, I think there is a difference. I'm not going to go into that. But I think, the, I think there's, not, there's not a whole lot of difference because what are we doing? We're talking to God. We're expressing our worship, our prayer. In fact, I think our prayers to God are even a form of worship. Our number one priority in life is to worship God. And God wanted to be with his people. And so God, God made it so that his people could go and worship him in the desert. God has made it so that you and I can worship him today. And that through that worship, we can commune with God. This is why it was such a big deal. In First Chronicles, excuse me, Second Chronicles chapter 28, when King Ahaz, he shut the doors of the Lord's temple. We talked about the, uh, um, the incense arising in the temple a few moments ago. He snuffed that out. He even went in, and he, King Ahaz went in and took some of the elements in the temple that were meant for worship of God, and he gave them away. He put them in other, he gave them as a, almost as a bribe to other people to, so that they wouldn't come against him. That's how evil he was. He shut down worship. And that's why it was so important, King, right after him, Hezekiah, what did he do? He opened up the doors. Hezekiah, 2 Chronicles 29, he opened the doors of the temple of the Lord. In the first month of the first year, it's the first thing he did. And, and later on in verse 35 and 36, um, specifically, specifically verse 36, so the service of the temple of the Lord was reestablished. The, the incense was going again. The altar was there. Um, there, there, there was the brazen altar was happening. The, the, the labor was all those pieces of worship of God. And um, last week we talked about what happens when we worship. What happens when our heart is to worship God with everything. We see a revival took place with Hezekiah. And we even see he had pushback. We even see that um, someone tried to stand up against him. And, and um, there, there, was a, there was a battle he had to fight in the midst of this. So just because we get our worship on doesn't mean that everything is going to just go honky-dory the rest of our life. We're still going to have issues. But you know what we're going to do? We're going to worship God through that. Amen? We're going to push through. We're not going to stand back. We're going to worship God through that. Trust him in that. Worship. You were created to worship God. Our number one priority. Now, let me just toss this out to you. This is rhetorical. I'm not looking for, so don't scream the answer, okay? Um, what do you think of when I say the word worship? When I say worship, what do you, what, what's the first thing that pops in your mind? For some of you, maybe a genre of Christian music. Am I right? I mean, oh, that's worship music. That's Bethel, or that's Hillsong, or that's whoever your latest and greatest is. That's a genre. And that, yeah, I mean, it's worship, but that's not only worship. Some of you think the first half hour of our service every Sunday morning, that's worship. And I know even the language that sometimes we use, even as a staff, and we say, hey, after worship, I'll get up and lead in prayer. But the truth of the matter is what? Everything we do in this service is worship to God. Uh, worship doesn't start and stop from the moment we gather together. Our fellowship in the foyer 
That's worship to God. God is just like, oh, how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity and get a cup of coffee and stand around and just fellowship. God's pleased by that. That's worship to the Lord. Everything we do is worship to the Lord. All of it's worship. As we think about this, then what I want to do this week is I want to talk to you about uh, what our worship ought to look like. What, what, what does this look like? What does my worship look like? Jesus uses a very interesting conversation with an adulterous woman, by the way, to teach us what our worship should look like. Now, next week, next week I'm going to talk to you about what our corporate worship ought to look like. I'm going to talk specifically about when we come together as a church on a, 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 for a corporate gathering, what does the Bible have to say about that? And how are we doing? I'm going to talk to you about that. Don't miss next Sunday. But today I want to talk more big picture. In fact, I want, I want, to, I want to take you to the, to the Gospel of John, chapter 4. Jesus is, is hanging out with his disciples, and this is what it says. The Pharisees heard that Jesus, Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about the sixth hour. Well, there's so much I'd like to say on this, but let me just say this. First off, I, you know I love maps, so here's, here's a map, just so you can kind of grasp this. This isn't just a thing um, where, um, you know what, let's... Uh, at this time, let's just have Jesus going from Judea to Galilee. How does that sound? No, these are like real physical places. You and I can go stand. We could walk this way. It might be better to drive. It wouldn't be very safe. But um, So he's down here in Judea, and he's got to get up to Galilee. Some people hated the Samaritans so much that they would actually take a path around Samaria so they wouldn't have to go through Samaria because they didn't like the Samaritans. But the disciples and Jesus were making their way through Samaria and then it says something else that I think is so interesting. It says Jesus was tired. Do you remember in 1 John, in our series in 1 John last fall, we talked about the importance of this, that you and I understand Jesus was fully God, yet he was also fully man. Why is that so important? Let me just say this real quick. If Jesus would have just jumped down from heaven for a couple days and said, hey, I'm Jesus, I'm here to die for you. They put him on the cross, he dies, he rises. Do you know, even then, he wouldn't be able to fulfill what, what, what the writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 4.15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. He was tired, but I don't think he was sitting around saying, I'm so tired, I didn't get a good sleep last night. That rock I slept on last night was a little bumpy and could use my Serta. I didn't have it last night. I mean... He, I don't think he was standing around being grumpy. and uh, he, was, he knew no sin. You see, Jesus came, and he was fully man. He ate, he slept, went through all of life, was tempted in every way that you and I are tempted. He's fully God, yet fully man. And he was the spotless lamb. says it was about um, six, what does it say, the sixth hour. Bottom line, this means it was about noon. It was hot. 
And then um, he starts getting into a conversation with a Samaritan woman who is coming to draw water. And so, and he's like, hey, hey, um, woman, would you give me a drink? I'm a little thirsty. And she pushes back, and verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew, uh, I'm a Samaritan woman, how can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And so it's just really a, an amazing um, discourse of, uh, of Jesus and this woman going back and forth. And then we fast forward even to verse 16, when Jesus is just like, okay, I'm going to hit a nerve here. He said, uh, go, call your husband, and then come back. We'll talk some more. And she said, I have no husband. Of course, Jesus said, ding, 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 ding. You're right. You don't have a husband. In fact, um, uh, you've had five husbands, and the one you're living with now isn't even your husband. And so Jesus, just prophetically, he knew what was going on in this woman's life. And, uh, and then the, the woman, like her hand was caught in the cookie jar, <laughs> chocolate all over her. <laughs> Who, me? Eat cookies? She's like, uh, time to change the channel. <laughs> Can we change the subject? And she's like, look at verse um, 19. Sir, the woman said, uh, I can see you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you, you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. And Jesus declared, this is where I want you to see. Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father. Here it is, in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. What? does this mean? What does this mean? In spirit and truth. Oh, I've heard a lot of people preach on it. In fact, at some point, I don't even know, do you ever write stuff in your Bible? <clears throat> I used to do a whole lot more of this because I used to listen to a lot more preachers than actually preach. Um, but Because I've had this Bible since I was like in college. But I wrote in here, uh, in fervency and in fact. So at some point, I heard a preacher say, in spirit and truth meant in fervency and in fact. Boy, that sounds good. And I think our worship ought to be in fervency, in fact. But as, as you study and you dive deep into this spirit and truth, I'm not so sure that's what Jesus had in mind. What did he have in mind? Well, bottom line is this. Your worship is no longer going to be tethered to a physical location. Now, let's get this. I know I've already talked about this, and the Holy Spirit kind of set up with our worship list and everything, just set up this message pretty good here. But just just remember, before Jesus, when you uh, brought your sacrifice of praise, it wasn't something from within your heart that I'm just going to give to the Lord. Hallelujah. I love you, God. No, you physically brought it to the temple. It was your sacrifice of praise, and your worship would be there at the temple. Your worship would be at a temple um, uh, in Jerusalem. And what Jesus is saying, things are getting ready to change. You're going you're gonna to be able to worship in spirit and in truth. Grab the notes. Let me teach for maybe the next 10 minutes, and then we're going to be done, I promise. Well, maybe a little more than 10 minutes. But here it is. Grab the notes in the back of the seat, will you? Fill in these blanks because I think it's going to help you grasp what this message, what God's trying to say to us. Ready for this? What is, what is this spirit thing? Well, the first thing you need to see is this. In, in our text in John chapter 4, when it, when it says the Father's looking for worshipers in spirit and truth. Spirit, is that a capital S or is that a lowercase s? Why is that important? Well, most, not all, 
But most, um, uh, most translations of the Bible, if it's talking about the Holy Spirit, the third part of the Trinity, or the second, the first, however you want to, part of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, that'll be a capital S. Like Sesame Street here. S. Um, some of you don't know what Sesame Street is. Let's keep going. If it's talking about your spirit, it's a, it's a lowercase s. What do you mean, Scott? Well, for instance, um, the Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians, he gave a blessing, uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Look at this. My, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what he's saying is you're made up of a body, okay? You're made up of a soul. Your soul is your mind, your intellect, your thoughts, your heart. You know, all that, that's your soulish realm. And then you're made up of a spirit. I just want to declare to you, so you all know, you have a spirit. And, and the, God created that spirit to be filled with the Holy Spirit. God longs to know you. He longs to, for you to serve him and follow him and, and have a relationship with you. And so, um, so that empty spot in your spirit was, you can try to fill it with all kinds of other stuff. But the only thing that you'll ever find perfect peace in is when you allow God to come and fill your spirit with his spirit. What's that called? Well, let's just jump in. First blank. Ready? Worship in spirit starts with salvation. God has to be allowed to touch your spirit. If if you're going to worship him in spirit, follow me here, then God has to touch your spirit so let me ask you something pretty simple. Are you born again? Are you saved? Because let me tell you what happens. The moment you give your life to Christ, Billy Graham, great evangelist, he made it very famous. Have you invited Jesus Christ into your heart? And, and I'm, I'm fine with that lingo. I think it's fine the, the, way, the way he says it. I would say it the same way. No, no issues. But the truth of the matter is it's not really Jesus that you're finding your, it's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes in and resides in your spirit. We see that, let me show you, Romans chapter eight. Here it says, the spirit you received, capital S, the Holy Spirit you received at salvation, does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Holy Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. Oh, so much I could say about that, but let's keep going. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Holy Spirit himself testifies with our lowercase spirit, our spirit, that we are God's children. So when you're saved, you're born again. The Holy Spirit comes. What are we talking about? We're talking about worship. I just want to be very clear. I know this is very, um, very simple, but I want to, I want to go there. I, I'm, I want to go there. S- worship in spirit, it starts with salvation. It starts when you and I yield our life to Jesus Christ. And let me just, I'm just going to toss this out there. I don't want you to get mad at me, but I want to just be very honest with you. If you come to a church service like ours and you're thinking, wow, this is boring. Oh, is this ever going to get over with? Can we go home now? I mean, I've counted the lights. I've, I've wondered what some of this stuff is. I've I mean, I've done everything. I've gone through everything in the back of the seat, and I've taken the pen apart and put it back together, taken it apart and put it back together a million times. And you just have a hard time engaging, a hard time, are we going to sing another song of worship? Can I just encourage you with something? Um, I'm, don't leave this place saying, 
Well, that pastor said I wasn't saved. Especially if you have a southern accent, you'd say it like that. Listen, but I, I'm just, I love you enough just to say, man, are you born again? Have you repented of your sins? Because when that happens, the Holy Spirit comes and resides in you. And I'm not saying you're going to be doing jumping jacks for Jesus overnight. But I'm saying <laughs> there ought to be some joy when we get to worshiping in this place. We'll talk about this next week. There ought to be some joy that rises up in your heart. It's like, man, this is awesome. God, yeah, I, I, I can't help but to sing that song. That's an awesome song. I, I can't help but to pray. I engage my spirit right now because the Holy Spirit's there into this worship. Think about that. God, the Holy Spirit, wants to connect with your spirit. Starts at salvation, but it doesn't stop there because we got to get this in your notes. Continually yield to the spirit <clears throat> and continually yield to that spirit. And in, in, in to your, your spirit, the spirit that you have where the Holy Spirit resides. Wh whether it's worship on a Sunday or it's in your everyday life. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says it this way, nails it down. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, because now this is your spiritual act of worship. What that means is that when I get saved, I'm choosing to be a worshiper of God. I'm not going to worship myself. I'm not, I'm not going to be driven only just to, to, so people will know me or have the greatest amount of money or a 401k or whatever it is. I, I'm not going to be driven for popularity. I'm, I'm not, all those things are not important to me. The most, they have some importance, but the most important thing is this, is, is that I want to worship Jesus. And so I consecrate myself daily, regularly. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to be like... Uh, uh, um, those people that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law that Jesus says in Matthew, Matthew chapter 15, verse 8, it says this, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. I'm gonna be like a Colossians 3.23 worshiper, where whatever you do, Work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. And it is the Lord Jesus Christ that you are serving. So Jesus says there's a new way of worship coming. It's not attached to a location. This means you can be driving along in your car worshiping God. This means you can be changing a stinky diaper for the fifth time that day worshiping God. This means that you can be um, uh, in the midst of uh, the workplace uh, at the ball field. It means you can be in a worship service wherever because it's in spirit. It's in spirit. Can I just encourage you with something? This is, this is how this played out in my life and then, then we'll move on. This might surprise some of you. Maybe it won't, some of you. If you've ever prepared a message to preach on a Sunday morning, you'll, you'll, be, you'll know what I'm getting ready to say. One of the most laborious times, parts of my job for years was sermon preparation. Oh, I love getting up on Sunday morning and just blabbing. Oh, I love that part. I love the presentation part, enjoyed that. But the, 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 the days of study, because I, 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 want, I want to have something red hot, but yet... I, I want to make sure it's right, <laughs> and I want to make sure it's correct and doctrinally, and, um, and it used to be so laborious. Two things happened. I don't have time to tell you what the first thing is, but first was this. It, it, let me just toss it out there. There was a pastor, a mentor from, the, from a distance 
that said something I thought, that is so good. It's the principle of the firsts. I put my sermon prep, I took it, the majority of my sermon preparation from Thursday and I moved it to the very first thing of my week on Mondays. Completely changed. I don't have time to go into this, but I think there's something to the principle of the first. And if you have a job that would allow you to, what if you take the most laborious, the more whatever, the, really even the most important piece of your job that you must get done, do that first thing in the week, and then I'll study a major part of the message is even done by Monday, and then I'm just going through the whole week, just fine-tuning, getting it in my heart, whatever. It's changed the way I preach. But the second thing is this, is the way I approach my study. This is what I'm getting at. <clears throat> the way I approached the most laborious part of my calling my job is I felt convicted. So I'm like, this is all worship to you, Lord. And the Lord and I had a little conversation. And I said, Lord, I don't think it needs to be this way. So Lord, help me to let my sermon prep time, the most laborious part of my job, help me to be able to do that as worship unto you. And I can tell you, um, it's probably made one of the biggest differences in my preaching. I think, I'm not bragging at all. I'm just saying, I think my preaching's better now than what you got a few years ago. I'm just telling you. Because, uh, because uh, my heart has changed even in the way that I've prepared it. I, I've, I, I've, I've said, God, I want this to be done as worship unto you. And so let's make sure that we're not, we're not saying worship is that half an hour every Sunday morning or a genre of Christian music. Let's make worship a lifestyle. Everything we do. We don't, but we don't have to go to the temple anymore, do we? No. We don't have to go to a location. Oh, it's great when we come together here on Sunday morning, we worship together. Oh, that's powerful. But we really don't even need to step in here to have a time of worship. We can have a place. We can have worship wherever because it's in spirit. And the second thing is this. It's in truth. Let's nail this one down. It's in truth. In spirit and in truth. Now, as we look at our text, um, I think Jesus could be slamming this Samaritan woman a little bit because these Samaritans, you know, see, he, he said, uh, worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. So the Samaritans were worshiping in a, another area, in another mountain. So that was really not where they were supposed to worship. They were supposed to worship in Jerusalem, and I can't go any further into that. So I think that might have been a little bit of a slam. Um, but, the, but the fact of the matter is, I, I think this is what Jesus was getting at. When, when you worship in spirit and in truth, um, part of it, not the whole th- piece of it, I'll, I'll tell you the whole piece here in a second, but part of it, I think, is, is you're, no lo- you're no longer, there's, there's a, no longer an obligation. Oh, you're a Jew? Okay. See you at the next festival. Because why? You were obligated to go. There's an obligation to go. Now your worship has changed from obligation to being a part of a merciful Savior. It, it's changed to, to an oblig, not out of obligation, but a, 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 because of grace and mercy. And you see the difference there. It's now my, my worship is in truth. Uh, and, and, and it's not that like the previous way of worship was wrong or not truthful, but the way that my worship's happening is it's not out of obligation. It's out of God's mercy and his grace. And I come to him. And, and if we take another step further, I think it's interesting in John chapter 14, verse 6, you can finish this for me. Jesus is answering Thomas. And he says, Jesus answered. He said, I am the way, the, and the life. What's the Greek word there? I know you all know it. Um, it's aletheia. Aletheia. 
I, I'm just kidding. I wouldn't have known it either if I didn't look it up. But why is that important? Aletheia, same word used in John chapter 4. Worshiping in spirit and in truth. What does it mean to worship in truth? Jesus says the same word in John 14. I am the way, the truth. Worship in truth, John chapter 4. First, first spot there under, under truth. Worship and truth is worship that is built on and around Jesus. You get that? It's built on and around Jesus. The spotless lamb, the perfect sacrifice. This is, this is what he's saying to the woman at the well. Individual worship, lifestyle worship. It's not built on people seeing you, but people seeing Jesus in you. Corporate worship, it's not built on lights and comfortable chairs and air conditioning and heat. And today, aren't you just praising God for heat today? Hallelujah. It's, it's, it's not built on fog machines. You know, some churches have fog machines. We haven't quite gone that far yet. Not sure we will. But anywho, um, uh, it's, it's not built on that. It's not built on, uh, on, on having a, a, um, a full band or just having an organ and a piano or no instruments at all it's not your your worship your worship is built on Jesus it's built on and around Jesus every part of our worship every time we gather and every day of our lives I'm doing this to glorify you Jesus let's keep going the second thought I'd throw under truth is this it's built on and around the gospel why do you say that well, I just do a rabbit trail on that word aletheia, the Greek word aletheia. And you'll see it used this in, the, in truth in another way in, in representing the gospel. Worship in spirit and in truth, built, built on and around Jesus, but also built on around the gospel message. In Colossians chapter 1, jump all the way to verse 5. I don't know if we can go there. But the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel. Ephesians 1.13, look here. And you also were included in Christ when you have heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. James 1.18, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. 2 Timothy 2.15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Aletheia, Aletheia, Aletheia. Why is this so important? Because we want to get this. Is that when Jesus is saying, we're going we're gonna to have worship that's in spirit and in truth. He's saying this is built on and around Jesus and it's built on and around the gospel. The fact that Jesus came, he lived, he died, he rose again. And praise God, he's coming back. What, what, what should our worship look like? It should be in spirit and in truth. Spirit and in truth. Now, I almost hate to use quotes from other preachers because next week they're going to say something and it's going to be all over um, social media and then they're going to be like, oh, Scott likes that person. And So John Piper, I don't agree with everything John Piper says. If you don't even know who he is, just enjoy saying his name. John Piper, great grandson of the Pied Piper. But here it is. In his book, John Piper, Desiring God. Oh, that's kind of small. Can we see it? Truth without emotion produces dead orthodoxy and a church full or half full of artificial admirers. On the other hand, emotion without truth produces empty frenzy and cultivates shallow people who 
Refuse the discipline of rigorous thought. But true worship comes from people who are deeply emotional and who love deep and sound doctrine. Strong affections for God rooted in truth are the bone and the marrow of biblical worship. I think that gets us somewhere. It's not just like a, an emotional frenzy, though. It's great to allow God to use your emotions to bring worship to him. And it's not just, bless God, we just need to sing straight out of the scripture and don't need to change a word. And, and it's not just all the truth. It's, it's spirit and in truth. We can worship wherever we go, and it's based on the truth of Jesus and the gospel message. This is our worship. Speaking of worship, worship team, would you come? So here's my question to you. Who and how you worship is so important to the rest of your life? So here's the question. How is your worship? Would you stand with me? How is your worship? Who are you focused on in your life? You know, I know that, that there are times, like, like right now, if you're a parent, your kid gets sick, that pretty much is your focus, right? Um, if you have a health issue, that's gonna take some focus. But ultimately, in the midst of wherever you're at, what about your career? For some of you, career is not bad. In fact, work is worship unto the Lord, but are you living that way? Do you see your job as just a way to make money and to make as much as you can so you can, you can retire with as much as you can? Or do you see it as a way that, I want to worship God with this, with this work? Some of you are, are still in school. You're in college. Do you see that as an opportunity to worship God? What does that look like? How does that, how does that play out? But this is, this is what everything... When we, when we think about social media, it's almost um, uh, anti-worship of God because so many times it's all about worshiping us. Look at me, look at me, look what I did, woo! When ultimately what, what, our, what our goal is, is this, is look at Jesus. Look how awesome he is. Look how great he is. How are you doing at that? How am I doing at that? Get a vision with me. Get a vision of a church. Every single family is focused on, I want my family to be worshipers. I want my, this is what I felt last October that I needed to preach this month. This is, a, this is like a rhema word from God for this church right now. Why now? I don't know. But I'm so convinced of it. Is that we need to go another level in our worship of God. Not just corporately, but individually. Who are you living for? How is your worship? This is how Jesus taught one of the most profound, simple teachings about worship. Worshiping in spirit. You can worship wherever you're at because the Holy Spirit is in your spirit. And in truth. Worship that's based on and around Jesus and the gospel. Simple thoughts. But are we living this out? Could you just close your eyes?